As we come into John 13, Jesus' ministry is coming to a rapid close. He is really just about a day from his crucifixion. Now think about that. Think about the setting here. The disciples have no clue what's coming. They have no idea what's about to, what's about to start happening here shortly. And I, I've wondered if they don't imagine themselves growing old with the Lord Jesus Christ, growing old with Him in this ministry. Many of in those days might have, like Paul said under Gamaliel, and these aged men that would teach their disciples and would be around for most of their life maybe. And I, I do wonder if the disciples had the thought that this was going to be the same thing here with Jesus as well. But little did they know what was coming just shortly. Now, if you have that in mind, think about where we were last week. Jesus calls them together for a supper. The Passover is, is pretty much on them. Um, some may question whether this was actually the Passover meal or not. I don't believe it really was, but it doesn't really matter. As I said last week, Jesus is the Passover, and Jesus can really have this meal whenever He wants to have it. And He chose with His disciples to call them in and to have this meal. And as they came in, it was only the twelve. It was only the twelve, and you realize they spent most of their time, most of their ministry, among thousands and thousands of people ministering with Jesus. Even so much that Jesus said, come apart and rest. I mean, they were getting absolutely wore out and frazzled on the ends from all of the activity that was going on. And here at this point, Jesus calls them all in before the Passover. This is a special meal. It's a special time. And so they have this meal, they eat the meal. And at the end of the meal, we saw last week that Jesus gets up from this meal, and he takes out off his outer garment, that tunic. He girds himself, the Bible says, with a towel. He gets water, and one by one, we saw last week how he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Of course, he had been through a few of them, made his way to Peter, and by that time, Peter, I imagine, watching this take place, is absolutely incensed by the time Jesus gets to him. Remember when, when God brought down that manner of all sorts of food, and he said, rise up and eat, and Peter said, not so, Lord, I've never, I've never taken anything unclean into my mouth. Listen, he, he was zealous for the things of God that he had learned. And listen, he was not going to have Jesus partake of some, some, uh, some, uh, some action that would have been done only by some Gentile dog slave. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And Peter said, not me. No, sir, you're not washing my feet. And we know the whole story. Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, uh, you have no part of me. And he says, well, wash my hands, wash my feet, wash my head, wash me all over. And we realize that you see the love that Peter really had for the Lord Jesus Christ. If it came down to this or that, Jesus, Peter said, no, I want you. I want you. And so Peter got his feet washed and all 12 of them got their feet washed that night. And as the supper was over, as the sermon in, in, in uh, example was over, remember Jesus said, I am your master and your Lord. You, you call me master and Lord, and that's right, you should. And he said, if I've washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. 
And this is exactly the, the, the case that he's laying out here to the disciples. Serve one another. Serve like I serve. And we looked at that last week of the, the role of the believer, the role of the child of God being a servant. And Jesus went on to say that the byproduct, this is totally countercultural. This goes against all of our human nature. But Jesus said the byproduct of being a servant is happiness. Joy. No, no. People serve, you know, we, we do just fine serving our flesh, don't we? We do just fine serving other people. We do just fine serving the world, the flesh and the devil. And, but, you know, the problem of that is the byproduct of it is it never brings happiness. We get left on the short end of the stick every time. That's why the Bible says sin is good for a season. Yeah, you can serve your flesh for a little while, but it never has any reward at the end except death and destruction. So Jesus here gave him the example of being a servant. And, and I, I hope we can get the setting, and I hope I can get this in your mind, but the entire setting that Jesus has here, beginning in John 13 and verse 1, if you look at it closely, the entire setting is an example of how a family operates. He's brought the disciples in. This is a church meeting. This is a meeting of the family. And Jesus is telling the, 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 the brothers and sisters of this family, serve one another. Serve one another. That's what he's saying. This is a family meeting. You ever have a family meeting? And the kids go, oh boy, here we go. Another edict coming down from dad. What do we got to do now? Right? Family meeting time. Yeah. This is a family meeting. And at the end of this time, I, don't, I, 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 I would love to know what it would have been like to be there. To see the, the atmosphere of that room after Jesus got done washing the feet. The unity that might have been there that night. The, the, the closeness that they might have felt one to another in, in that evening. And when he got to the end of it, when he got to being done washing the feet and giving the sermon and, and letting them know that they're happy if they're like their Lord and Savior and being a servant, at the end of it all, <laughs> he drops an absolute bomb on them. Just blows it all up. I remember my cousin Dan telling me one time what it was like. Uh, you know, my, my aunt and uncle were quite the disciplinarians. Uh, they were a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. But life was pretty black and white. And wrong was wrong. Right was right. And if you came down on wrong, buddy, your life's over. And, and it was known. It was pretty well known. And it actually made for a very happy home and a very happy life and very successful life. And... Uh, <laughs> We were talking one day about that, and my cousin was laughing. He said, yeah, me and Paul one time, we did something during the day. I forgot what it was. And he said, he said, Mom came and just said, wait till your father gets home. It's all, you know, it wasn't Mom dealt with it. It was so bad that she said, wait till your father gets home. And so Danny says, uh, we... Dad got home and we had supper and, uh, you know, it was kind of like, ooh, we didn't know when it was going to fall, when the, when the bomb was going to drop. But we, he said, we got all the way through supper. This is how cruel my aunt is. We got all the way through supper and things were starting to feel good and the, and, and the, the fear was getting ready to go away and everything was looking good and dad and mom had forgotten. Uh, dad doesn't know about it. We're going to go on and, and things are going to be wonderful and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, my aunt Sue goes, well, boys, you want to tell your dad what you did today? 
boom, blew it all up. Supper was going so well. And the rest of the evening did not go as swimmingly as supper did, you know. It went downhill from there. Yeah. You ever, ever have anybody drop something on you like that? Things are going just fine and all of a sudden, somebody at family Thanksgiving has to say something like, What? <laughs> Ruins the whole day? Well, Jesus drops a bomb on him this night. And he says, betrayal is coming. The twelve that I just washed your feet, the unity you're feeling here right now, the joy that you have in my presence, the happiness that I've taught you about of being a servant, one of you is going to betray me. Wow. Wow. That's quite a deal, isn't it? Look at verses 18 and 19 of our text. Jesus says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me have lifted up his heel against me. Betrayal. Betrayal's coming. And I found it so interesting that Jesus used this term right here. He used this phrase, He that eateth bread with me, that's a sign of family. It's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of of communion, sitting down with a meal with one another. You ever get at the airport and you have all these open places to eat? And what does everybody do? Get as far away from everybody as they can. Because it's just awkward sitting next to at the same table with somebody eating with them that you don't know just weird. Yeah. Those restaurants, those places, they think it's real cool to have family settings and they have these long tables and you're sitting right next to somebody you don't know. I don't like that. I don't like it. I don't go to those. Jesus is saying the one that is sitting here tonight eating bread with me as, as like they're a part of a family, you're going to betray me. And look what he says here. Hath lifted up his heel against me. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that sound, that, that, that term lift up his heel against me, does it sound familiar? Anybody remember? You're a student of the Bible, I know you are. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the proto-evangelism, evangelism, remember what, it's the gospel in Genesis, it was the foreshadowing of the gospel, and what did God, what did, what did God say to Satan in verse 15? He said, I'll put enmity between uh, thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and what did he go on to say? It shall bruise thy head, Satan, and you're going to bruise his heel. You're going you're gonna to strike at the heel of Jesus, but He's going to take your authority. You're going to be defeated. And here Jesus says in John chapter 13, He says, they have lifted up their heel against me. I find that interesting that that word is used there. And He goes on in verse 19, He says, now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you might believe that I am He. So Jesus is warning them of that this is coming. So it'll build their confidence. So it doesn't totally blow everything up. No, there are, they are going to scatter. They are going to become bewildered. They are going to become totally confused in what is going on the next day. And Jesus is trying to help them to let them know, listen, this is what's coming. Don't be, don't, don't be too put out by it. 
I know it's coming. Now, I, I don't know about you, but it kind of shows a couple other things. How Jesus knew this was coming. And he knew who it was. Yeah. So he's trying to build confidence in them and letting them know that betrayal is coming. Now, if you get to verses 19 and 20, it's absolutely fascinating that this is placed in the middle of this lecture, of this lesson, of this text here in, verse, in chapter 13 that we have. It's fascinating that it's put in here because it's actually a doctrine of how one becomes a part of the family of God. You see, this is a family setting. Remember I said that? This is a family setting. This is a family meeting that's coming in. And right in the middle of this, right as Jesus somebody's going to betray me, He goes into verse 20. How it is really that they process the progress, the steps that it takes for one to get into the family of God. And he says this, look in verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. You're like, what on earth is he saying, right? Really, this is the process the steps that somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ and puts them within this family. So how is it that somebody comes into a relationship with God? How does somebody get within the family? Well, number one, I think we know this one. It's faith, right? Faith. Hebrews 11.6, we know what the Bible says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, right? We come to God by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know we come to God by faith through Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Bible goes on to teach that the, we, we, there is a triune Godhead. There are three persons within the Godhead. I'm, I'm setting a, a foundation here for you because you're going to see how it applies here in verse 20. But within the Godhead, we know there is the Father, there is a Son, and there is the Holy Ghost. The Bible teaches this. This is not some Catholic uh, made-up thing that the people like to go back and say they're, that are Unitarian, that try to say, well, it was never taught in the Bible, this isn't Catholic. No, it is not. It's taught in the Word of God. It absolutely is. Are we, are we good with that? Are we awake? Is that good? Yeah, that's right. It is taught in the Word of God that there is a Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I asked somebody just the other night on visitation. I, I asked them, I said, well, if Jesus is not God, which John 1, 1 says He created all things, and in Genesis it says that God created the heaven and the earth, and Jesus created it all, deductive reasoning, Jesus is God, and we have many other examples within the Word of God that teaches this. But if you remember, if you look at words closely, the Bible says in Genesis 1, God said, let us, us, make man after our likeness and image. Who's us? I had one oneness Pentecostal tell me, what's the angels? I said, so angels have creative power? A created being has creative power? No, they don't. The Bible never teaches that. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us who us is. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. 
the Father decreed that it would be uh, that that the worlds would be uh, created, and Jesus was one who did all the creating. That's exactly it. It is the tri- it is the triune Godhead that we have that Jesus created all things. You know where else we see the the Trinity within the Bible, the the God the Godhead. We see it at the baptism of Jesus Christ, don't we? Jesus is in the water. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is descending and the Father is speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son who I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. We have all three right there. Absolutely. So we see within the Godhead there are three persons. No, there's one divine nature. And when we get saved and we become a part of, uh, uh, we get saved by by, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made a partaker of the divine nature. But there's only one divine nature. Do you know there's only one human nature? But about right on the planet, there's about 8 billion people with a human nature. We're getting close to 8 billion people with a human nature. There's one human nature. There's one nature of dogs. There's, Paul talks about this. There's one nature of birds. There's one nature of fish. They all have their own nature. But there, the Bible says there is one divine nature. And with that nature, we see all of His attributes. And you know who has all those attributes? Only three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says in, over in 1 John that they agree and they are all one. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. <laughs> so we see the Godhead. We see the triune Godhead that, that is shown very clearly in the Word of God. And when Now watch this now. And this is why I set all this foundation. Because... God begins to draw somebody to himself. He draws him through the chain of command within the Godhead. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws, isn't he? Yes, he does. Are we good with that? The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus Christ. Is that right? Yeah, amen. So the Spirit of God draws people. You know who he draws them to? Not to himself. You know, there are some groups out there that focus everything on the Holy Spirit of God. On the gifts, on the miracles, on the gold dust falling, on teeth growing back, on people writhing on the floor and barking like dogs, and all of these certain little things that they talk about is the Spirit of God. They have uh, emblems of the dove falling all over the place, and everything is a Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. You ever hear them? Holy Ghost, yeah. But you know what? That's not his goal. That's not his job. The job of the Holy Ghost of God is to lead people to Jesus Christ. It's within the Godhead. It's a chain of command. And when they come to Jesus and by faith put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Jesus takes them by the hand and He brings them up to the Father. You see the process there? The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. So the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. What did Jesus say? I'm going to leave you another comforter. And the Bible goes on to say that He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. He will draw us. He's our guide. He's our teacher. He draws us to Jesus Christ. This is God's chain of command. 1 John 4.14 The Bible says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You see that? The Father sent Jesus. And then in John 15.26 But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, Jesus said, I'm going to send him to you from the Father. I have authority to do this. Even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, oh, He shall testify of me. Yeah. So that's his job. So now look at verse 20 again. You got this down? Look at verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, it's the Holy Ghost of God, receiveth me. 
And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. You see that? Do you know what the unpardonable sin is? (laughs) It's rejecting the conviction of the Spirit of God. No, it's, 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 no, the Bible says you, you, you can blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven. I didn't look up the word, verses, I'm sorry. But there, you can blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven. You can blaspheme the Father and be forgiven. But you cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost of God. You know why? Because in God's chain of command of the Godhead, it, that's the end of the road. There's nothing after Him. If you reject the drawing of the Spirit of God, there's nothing left to draw, there's nothing left to draw you to the Spirit of God. You see what I mean? So go ahead. I mean, hey, if he's working on you and drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, no, 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 if you die in that, convi- in that condition, yeah, you've died in the condition of blaspheming the, the Holy Ghost of God and rejecting his work, his official work that he's trying to do in your heart and life. And here Jesus is setting up this chain of command of calling. The Holy Spirit draws and conviction points to Jesus. Jesus brings to the Father. And when we get brought to the Father, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb already. We've been restored and now we are, we are justified without sin and we've been reconciled back to God. So why did Jesus stick this right here? Seemed kind of strange, doesn't it? Nice family meeting. you think they'd get it, right? Applications in verse 21, look at this. When Jesus had, had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Let me put it this way. People who have believed in the work and the drawing of the Spirit of God, who have acknowledged the drawing of the Spirit of God, and those who have believed it and turned and in turn received the Lord Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, and uh, in those that have been, they've, they've received the work of the Spirit of God, they've received the work of Jesus, they've been reconciled back to the Father. You know what Jesus is saying right here? Those that have come to Christ this way, listen, they don't betray me. They don't walk away from me. They, they don't go out and sell me out because they're a part of a family. That's what he's saying here. And it troubled him. It troubled him because you know why? Because he loved Judas. No, no, God, remember we talked about this last Sunday night, that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn ye, turn ye, he says over, I believe, in Ezekiel. He has no pleasure. He doesn't want Judas to die. And go to hell? Absolutely not. And he was troubled in spirit. And he says, I say unto you that one of you is going to betray me. Why? Because he hasn't believed on me. No, Judas wasn't saved. He, he has never put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Although he saw the miracles... Although he, he sat with Jesus for three and a half years, although he, though he heard all of the teaching, though he said, though he got his feet washed by Jesus, he still said no. And Jesus says, the reason he's betraying me is because he's not a part of me, because he's rejected me. 
You know what I call this at the end of a beautiful meal? A bomb. A bomb went off. And we see this in the we see this in them because now all they start there's this bewilderment. And now they're all like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Who is it? Is it you? Right? And at one point you can read in your text that Peter turns and and and, and looks to John. Or no, John looks to Peter and says, Ask him who it is. John was so meek. And of course Peter wasn't. I turned it around, didn't I? Yeah, I knew I had it right in the first place. Peter looked to John and asked John to tell him. I'm sorry. You can read that in your text there. Peter, Peter looked to John. And John, yeah, okay. John, John was the one who asked. Helps to read your Bible, doesn't it? <laughs> Everybody awake? All right. It's a tough crowd today. <laughs> So look what Jesus says here. They say, who is it? And he said, it's the one who I give the sop to after I've dipped it. This is an interesting thing, isn't it? What on earth is a sop and what does it mean to dip it and what's he dipping it in? Right? You ever be at, been at an event, maybe a, a wedding, and somebody says, let's make a toast? Right? And us Baptists, we go, oh, no. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> So we like half-heartedly take this glass of water. Especially if you're at one of those weddings where they have alcohol everywhere and you're like, oh, why am I here? No, that's no similar thing here. This is a sign of friendship that they would do. This is a sign of a, a public, a public um, proclamation of this is a friend. And he took that sop, that piece of bread, and they might dip it in some vinegar and something like that. And they would give it to that one. No, bread and vinegar is wonderful. That's a great stuff. And they would give it to that individual that they were testifying and saying, friend, I'm making a toast to this one. Friendship. Don't ever tell me that Jesus wanted Judas in hell. To the very end, he tries. And he says, listen, Judas, it's not me. I don't have anything against you. It's you that have something against me. And then it says, the Bible says in verse 26, look at this, Jesus answered, He it is to him, I shall give the sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, look at this, Satan entered into him. What happened in the garden? Satan entered a serpent, didn't he? And here it is again, getting ready to come into another garden where Jesus will pray before His crucifixion. And Satan has once again entered into one of God's creation to mess it all up. And He entered into him. Judas allowed it. And Jesus said, that thou doest too quickly. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He's God. Nobody else at the table knew. They're like, well, maybe he's going to go out and buy something for the feast coming up. Maybe he's going to go give some money to the poor. Because they took offerings. It's a church. They took offerings. They had money. Judas held the bag. And so he goes out. And the Bible says it was night. Now, Jesus takes this opportunity now 
with Judas gone, watch, everything is now in motion. There's no turning back. Jesus is going to the cross. And nothing's going to change it. And he takes this opportunity with the wheels, with everything set in motion. Jesus takes the opportunity now and and says in verse 31, Now is the Son of Man glorified. You know what the cry of Jesus had been up to this point? That his Father be glorified. And now he's saying, now the Son of Man is going to be glorified. I, I, boy, we've been in a broken record here in John about what it means to be glorified and glory means. Just to put on display the attributes of somebody else. But Jesus says now His attributes are going to be on display. What attributes? He's God. And Jesus said, now my attributes, who I am as God, are going to be put on display. And if my attributes are put on display, if you see who I am, you're going to see who the Father is. Well, you see this? Look at this. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. So Jesus is saying, now is it the wheels, everything has been set in motion. You are going to see who I am and who I am as God. Well, you say, how is that going to be put on display? His crucifixion. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Jesus is going to the cross. And that's exactly where God is going to be glorified. In the crucifixion of His Son. Yeah. Verse 32, If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. Now look what he says here, verse 33. He's never called His disciples this before. Look at this. Little children... Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, and you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you, you're not going to find me. Why? I'm going away. They still didn't get it. No, this is the zero hour of Jesus' ministry. And they didn't understand what was about to happen. And he says, I've got to go away. I've got to go away. So what's this family meeting all about? Verses 34 and 35 are really the basis for the entire meeting. Do you see that? Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you. This is a command, not a suggestion. It's a command that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Not only is it a new commandment, it's the evidence of discipleship. He says, then shall all men know that you are my disciples. You know, men in those days and even now have have disciples. And you know who who they are disciples of. Didn't Charlie Manson have some disciples? Didn't old Jimmy Jones have some, Jim Jones have some disciples? My cousin's Jim Jones, but we call him Jimmy, so I don't want to, I messed up there. Because he's not like the other Jim. Well, the other one's dead. So, 
No, Jesus, Jesus says the thing that, d- that, d- that distinguishes you uh, from, of my disciples from all other disciples out there is love. And this is how people are going to know that you're in my family and that you're my disciple. That you love with my love. And I don't know if you can see this here. I, I'm sure you can. But verse 34 and 35 reveal that the basis for servanthood, remember what he started with? This is the same meal. This is the same evening. It's the same event. He just got done washing feet and all this stuff. But the basis for servanthood is love. This is what, defi- this is what is the, the foundation of all of it. This is why we serve, because we love. I said last week, we, we are not servants in the family of God. We are a child of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We, we are sons and daughters. We have a, a, a relationship like a husband and wife. And everything that God has uh, described our relationship with Him is based on a family level. We are We are family with God. We're not servants. Even to the point where Jesus said, I no longer call you servant, but friend. But we're asked to serve right out of love, not out of command in the, in the terms of having a hired, being a hired servant. Love. If you would, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and look what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 11. Can we turn that up? Verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Therefore, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also... I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we command not ourselves again to you, but we give, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. Now watch, now, now watch this. For whether we be, be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That word constrain means to urge or to impel. Do you see what Paul says? The reason why they're persuading those of the terror of the Lord. The reason why he went around the, the, the world with the gospel. The reason why he suffered what he did. The reason why he was shipwrecked and beaten and, and all of the starvation and the things that he went through in his life. Ultimately to lose his head as a martyr. Everything that he went through was because he said, the love of Christ impels me and it, it, it urges me and it moves me along to do what I do. It's because, because of Christ's love. Watch. Not not, not look because you see the love of Christ, not my love, Christ's love in me. It pushes me and moves me to do what I do as a servant of God. It's the love of God that moves us. Yeah. yeah. So love is the basis for basis for servanthood. 
Love is the basis for serving one another. And this is the whole thing of what Jesus is teaching here in John chapter 13. How do you become part of the family of God? Well, the Spirit of God draws you, convicts you of sin, shows your need for a Savior, shows you Jesus Christ. You go to Jesus, trusting Him, believing Him, believing in the work. He saves you that day and He brings you to the Father and He will one day present us faultless before the throne. And you're a part of the family of God. And you know what goes on in the family of God? Love. Love. And you know what happens when you love as God loves? You find yourself serving one another and serving others. Now, this is what God's house looks like. This is what goes on within the walls of God's house. Love and service. Let me ask you. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the family? Just think about it. Well, I I think I do. Okay, here's the test. Are you serving one another? Our service is connected to our love, isn't it? Our love is connected to Jesus. He is, the, he, is the, he, is, he is the one who indwells us and is the source of our love. Do you, do you remember in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus wanted the church at Ephesus to know a little something? Remember that? Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus. It was the first church that John, that a letter was written to, remember? It was the first church. And Jesus picked them out. And, and He said, I, you have great works. He commended them. You, you are great in labor, and you, you have been doing a lot in the world and in Asia Minor for the gospel. You have great patience, and you're, you're enduring great tribulation. And, and God loved it that they didn't put up with evil, and they didn't put up with sin, and they didn't allow it in the church. And they kept the church pure and clean, which isn't really going on very well today, is it? But, uh, never mind. But it, God said, you're not putting up with stuff, and you're not allowing things to go. And you've even, the evidence of it, you've put on trial those who say that they are apostles and they've been found out to be a bunch of liars. And they kicked them out. Yeah. God commended them over and over again. He said, for my namesake. For my namesake, it was, it was real. It wasn't fake. It was real. He said, for my namesake, you labored and you didn't faint and you just kept going. But you know what he says next, don't you? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. He says, you left your first love. Do you know it's possible to do everything right and get into the habit of doing everything right without love? And God says, when you get to that place within a church setting, within a family setting, that you're going through the motions and doing everything right without love, you're not really operating like my house operates. Because God says my house operates by love. 
And that's how the world will pick you out. By love. Yeah. So here's a better question. Have you left your first love? I don't want to take the time to help us to reminisce the day that we met the Lord Jesus. Pretty, pretty wonderful day, wasn't it? When you met the Lord. Man, everything changed. Sins just, everything was gone. Freedom. The weight was gone. Huh. You're just in love with Jesus. But it is possible if it is to happen even in a great church like Ephesus, it's possible to happen in a great church like Calvary Baptist Church at Nixon, Missouri. Have you left your first love? This is what the text is really getting to today, isn't it? Love. Does Jesus still excite you? Are you still overwhelmed with your salvation? Yeah. Amen. Every once in a while, just ponder and the Holy Spirit of God. I think I'm so thankful when He brings back to memory sometimes. I don't always like it when He brings back what used to be, where you used to be, and when He found you, when He began to draw you, when you finally responded to Him. And you look back at those times, and sometimes you just get overwhelmed, don't you? Thankful for those reminders. Is there, is there joy in your heart still when you sit down with the Bible and you open it up and the joy just floods your soul? And you, it is something about sitting down and opening up the Word of God and, 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 and abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ there, isn't it? Is it still there? Yeah. It's still there. Do your thoughts during the day dwell on God? Do you go to bed with Him on your mind and wake up with Him on your mind? Do songs, songs fill your heart? The righteous doth sing and rejoice, don't they? We have a reason to sing. We have a reason to rejoice, don't we? That's right. Do songs still fill your heart about the greatness and, and, and the love of God for you? No, this is, a, this is the question today out of our chapter. Have you left your first love? Are you operating out of love or are you operating out of the mechanics of religion? It's possible, isn't it? You know, until you fall in love with Jesus again, you know you're not going to be able to love your brother correctly. Why? As Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. It's His love being allowed to operate in our heart and life. And until we fall in love with Christ again, you're not going to be, we won't be able to love correctly. I think Roloff used to sing that old hymn. You'd hear him on the radio all the time. Keep in touch with Jesus and He will keep you sweet. You ever remember hearing that song? That might go way back. Yeah. And you see, if you're not loving your brother correctly, you're not serving correctly either. And if we're not loving and serving like Jesus, here's the bigger problem. The world isn't going to be able to pick up anything different about us than the rest of the world. You say, oh, but, but we, we, we have God's love. Can I remind you, I remember hearing a, hearing a, uh, a uh, what's it called, a, an interview of one of 
Charles Manson's children. She was a runaway, living on the streets. And she said one of one of the one of the, the gay one of the groups and one of the people of that group there said, found me, brought me to the group of people. And she says, it was the first time I'd ever really felt love and acceptance. They just loved me. And I just wanted to be there. In spite of the murder, in spite of the drugs, in spite of the abuse, in spite of the wickedness, love drew her into this group. And friends, that's twisted. But it shows you how much we crave love. And this is what Jesus says about His family. I want my family to love each other like to such a place that we just love to serve one another. And when we love one another and serve one another, when the world is looking at us, they say, oh, what's going on there? That's different. That's different. It's what I was looking for. When my brother picked me up for church that started to take me to church with him, oh, I was a goofball. But you know what I noticed? I look back now and I, <laughs> I thought, thought man, it's, it's amazing what somebody didn't say to me about how I acted and how I looked and how we came to church and just really didn't know much then. And what the one thing that drew me over and again Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, was love. No, these people loved me. I was a moron, and they loved me. <laughs> I was an absolute goofball. And I, you know, you could sense it. Remember, remember the first time you came to the school, right? So one of the, one of the. Uh, unmistakable things to realize at a church where love was. You just wanted to be there. You just wanted to come back. You just always wanted to be there when the doors are open. Why? Because there's people here that actually love me. Do you know it's possible to get away from that? And to get so consumed with self, this is where love goes away, you get so consumed with self that you stop loving And when you stop loving, you stop serving. That's what the world needs. Jesus said so. So the question for Calvary Baptist Church is have we left our first love? I'm not saying we have. I'm not saying on an individual basis. There are some I know that are just in love with Jesus. And I know it's evident. But I'm I'm talking on a whole now. Is it possible that we've left our first love. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I want to thank you for the reminder of what your home 